Our Bible reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. Uh, I'll be reading verses 18 through 22. That's found on page 1504 in your pew Bibles. <clears throat> and this morning we'll be starting a new sermon series. So through the season of Epiphany, Epiphany goes from the end of the Christmas season all the way through the beginning of Lent, we will be looking at encounters with Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you read through the Gospel of Matthew, all sorts of different kinds of people come into contact with Jesus. Uh, they're from different cultural backgrounds, from different economic backgrounds. Sometimes they're very friendly to Jesus. Sometimes they're very hostile to Jesus. So all these very different interactions that Jesus has with people. And every single one of those interactions reveals something. Every single one of those interactions tells us something about who Jesus is and who we are as people. So today we're going to see the first of those interactions, and that will be when Jesus is walking down by the Sea of Galilee on a sunny afternoon, and he sees four young men doing a little fishing, and he calls them to be his disciples. Listen. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, said Jesus, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately... They left the boat and their father, and they followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Over the last 40 years or so uh, in the North American church, in the North American context, there has been a, a, a difference, a growing difference in the way most people relate to the church. Uh, it started before I went into ministry in the 90s, but I've certainly seen it increase since then. And I, I, the, the, the tendency, the change can be described this way. Increasingly, people treat the church like a service provider. Okay? Increasingly, people treat the church like they would treat other businesses or institutions in society that provide a service. So um, people see the church as as in many people's eyes, the church is not that different from Starbucks or from maybe your local chiropractor. So your Starbucks and your local chiropractor are important businesses that provide a, a service for people who need things. So if you're experiencing joint pain, if you've had a bad back for a while, you can call up your local chiropractor, make an appointment, and they will set you up and they'll, they'll give you an adjustment and you're very grateful for them. It's so nice that there are people who have these skills who can make you feel better. And if you're hankering for an expensive coffee-based beverage on a Friday morning, a peppermint spice latte or some such, how nice that you can go down to Starbucks and get in line and plop down $4.50 for your barista and 50 cents for tip and enjoy your, your peppermint spice latte. That's, that's so nice. They provide useful services. And we all, we, we like these businesses. 
But if you don't need them, if you, if you don't have any joint pain, if you're just fine, you don't go to your chiropractor. And frankly, you don't really think much about your chiropractor. And if you're not into expensive coffee-based beverages, you probably don't think much of Starbucks and you don't frequent that place. And you're perfectly happy to go through your day attending to other priorities. In the same way, increasingly, in the West, people look to the church as a, as a service provider, and, and, the, and they see that the service that we provide is, is spiritual stuff. That's our speciality, right? So if in the course of your life, you need some spiritual help, and who doesn't need that sometimes? You know, maybe you have a baby, or you experience loss, or maybe you're just going through a hard time. Maybe you want to show up in church once in a while. Hear a sermon or set up a, a, a meeting with a pastor and, and get a little help. Avail yourself of the many services that we provide. Starbucks sells coffee, chiropractors sell joint relief, the church sells spiritual help. Here's how a contemporary missiologist, person who studies church admission, um, guy named Stephen Poss, Stefan Poss, who works in Amsterdam, here's how he describes the trend. In Europe, as well as in America, a new pattern is gradually emerging. That's a shift away from understanding religion as a form of obligation and towards an increasing emphasis on consumption and choice. Now, whatever you think of this trend, and you can probably tell that I am not a fan, honestly, it's nothing new. There have always been people who've had a customer relationship with Jesus, who've treated the church, who've treated Jesus as a service provider. You see that in the Gospels already. That's essentially the posture of the crowds who followed Jesus everywhere. Just two verses, or actually immediately, the verse immediately after the ones I read this morning, you see the crowds that start coming to Jesus. News about Jesus spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases and large crowds followed him. The people in those large crowds who followed Jesus all over Galilee and all over Judea had essentially a, a customer relationship with Jesus. They had a need in their family. Someone was sick. Uncle Frank was terribly sick and been sick for a long time. They heard that there's this healer man, this, this spiritual man in town. So you, you put Uncle Frank in the wheelchair. You wheel him down to the main street, wherever Jesus happens to be. You get in line. Jesus lays his hands on Uncle Frank and heals him. And, and you're genuinely thankful. You embrace Jesus with tears of joy. And, 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 but that's pretty much it. You go back to your regular job and your routines. You don't follow Jesus or frankly think that much about Jesus anymore. No real change in your life. There have always been a large number of people, perhaps a majority of people, who call themselves Christians, loosely affiliated with Jesus, who have that customer relationship with him. How does Jesus react to those people? Well, he loves them, of course. Right? Jesus doesn't turn away the crowds. Jesus loves the crowds. He has compassion on them, for they are as sheep without a shepherd. He loves the crowds. But let us admit that that customer-crowd relationship is not his ideal. Jesus doesn't want a crowd. He wants a community. And Jesus doesn't want customers. He wants disciples. 
Not a crowd, a community, not a customer, a disciple. In today's sermon, and, and frankly, maybe through this whole sermon series, as we think about encounters of Jesus, I suppose we'll be exploring the difference between those two things, what it means to truly encounter Jesus and what it means to be his disciple as opposed to just a customer. In some ways, all through the next couple of months, Jesus will be coming down to your seashore and looking you in the eyes and asking you to follow him again. So how is the relationship difference? What's the difference between a disciple and a customer? Well, uh, for a disciple, a master, and Jesus in our case, the master becomes a central organizing principle of their life. Their whole life gets organized around the life of the master. The crowd does not make Jesus their central organizing principle. Uncle Frank gets healed, and they go back to their old plans and their old priorities and their old passions. Thank you, Jesus. That was wonderful what you did for Frank. But if you don't mind, I, I've got a few things on my to-do list that I've got to take care of. Disciples do something different. Customers want Jesus to help them with their plans and priorities. Disciples take their plans and priorities and give them to Jesus and say, change these. I don't want them to be my priorities anymore. I want them to be your priorities. Renovate these things for me, Jesus. That's what you see happening to the disciples, right? At the beginning of the story, they're fishermen. Jesus comes into their life and, and they leave everything. Peter and Andrew leave their nets on the shore. James and John leave their nets and their dad sitting in the boat to fend for himself. Now, does that mean that if, if you have to be a true disciple, if you want to be a true disciple of Jesus, you've got to leave your job? Well, no, not necessarily. I don't think every disciple has to leave their job. But it does mean that if you're a disciple, then Jesus, your master, rules over every aspect of your job and the way you do your job and what you do in your job becomes completely dictated by his plans and his priorities. The story doesn't mean that everybody who becomes a disciple of Jesus has to leave your father in the boat to fend for himself, but it does mean that every family relationship becomes subservient to your relationship with Jesus and all your family's plans and priorities are under him. Being a disciple doesn't mean necessarily that you have to sell everything you have and give it to the poor, but it does mean that every single penny you have is not yours, and the way you spend it is answerable to your master and to the kingdom that he is bringing. You see, for a disciple, Jesus isn't just your savior. He's also your Lord. For customers, Jesus are very, customers are very comfortable with Jesus as their savior. And that's perfect for a customer. Help, help, I need help. Jesus comes and saves me. That's the relationship I'm looking for. That's great. Disciples, though, want to submit every moment, every thought, every act of the will to the master. So, the master becomes a central organizing principle of your life when you're a disciple. What follows from that, the second point, and when you're a disciple, your life is always open to the word and to the voice and to the call of your master. 
And we see that again in this story too, right? That these fishermen, Jesus calls and it's almost involuntary, right? There's no real record almost of their will acting. It's like immediately they leave their stuff and follow him. They are completely open to and run by the call of Jesus in their life. And that doesn't end with that first call, that sense of being opening to the call and responsive to the call, that just deepens with every single day they speak with Jesus. Just a few verses later, chapter five, Jesus calls them again in a different way. He says, hey, come up with me on this mountainside. I got a few things to tell you. And then he proceeds to preach the Sermon on the Mount. What is the Sermon on the Mount if not an intensification and a deepening of what does it mean to be a disciple. Jesus going deep with them on what it means to follow him. If you want to follow me, you got to be a person so full of integrity that you don't even need to take oaths because people trust you so much that when you say yes or no, they know you mean it. If you follow me, your person's so generous that someone comes after you and asks you for your shirt, you give them your coat as well. If you follow me, you're someone so merciful that someone comes up to you and slaps you on the cheek, you turn the other one to him as well. If you're a person who follows me, you're so full of love that it's not just the people who like you and love you that you love, you love your enemies too. If you're my disciple, it's like, Your whole life is a light on a stand that gives light to everyone in the house. When you are a disciple, you are open to Jesus' words in every moment of your life, every morning of your life. You open up your heart and your mind and you say, show me Jesus, teach me Jesus. Show me the way that you want to go. We do it as individuals, we do it together. We gather around God's word in community. We pray for each other. We try to help each other follow our master day by day, open to his call. So disciple, the master is a central organizing principle of his life. They're open to the call of the Lord moment by moment, day by day, all the time. And, and also a disciple knows that following the master means difficulty. Disciples do not expect convenience, they expect difficulty. Again, very different than customers, right? When you're a customer and you make a choice, customers always go for convenience, right? When you make a customer decision or purchase, you're trying to increase your pleasure, increase the the convenience of your life. But when you sign on for discipleship, you know, no, things are gonna get harder, not easier. And again, think of the four men in our story. James and John, Peter and Andrew. Think of their lives. How did their lives go? For three of the four of these guys, you can draw a direct line from this moment when they choose to follow Jesus to being executed for their master. Three of the four of these guys were were executed because they followed Jesus. Peter and Andrew, probably around 60 AD, during the persecutions of Nero. James earlier than that, right? You remember, James was executed towards, by Herod, towards the beginning of the book of Acts. This is no picnic they were signing up for, and they knew it, this was difficulty. When you follow this master, you get a cross, you are called to perhaps sacrifice your life, and every day is a pouring out of yourself. Now I realize, and when I talk like this, I run the risk 
of making the Christian life seem like a miserable slog, right? Oh, you're in for trouble, kids. You better count the cost. Life, Christian life, is a gritted teeth journey through the veil of tears. Sometimes we ministers can make it sound that way. But of course it's not that. This life may be hard, but it's so profoundly meaningful. It's what you were meant for. Every single one of you here, every single one of you here was created to be not a customer, but a disciple. To have the life of Jesus in you. It is what you were made for. And the reason that the the path of discipleship is so hard is because that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. The Holy Spirit is making you into Jesus, making you like Jesus. And that is not a minor renovation. That is not new carpeting and paint. That is knocking down walls. The Holy Spirit is coming into your life and tearing out pride and tearing out selfishness and totally readjusting priorities. And that is painful because he's making you be like Jesus. And so we Christians can challenge each other and talk about counting the cost. And we can quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer who says, if anyone was to follow Christ, that person, if Christ calls a man to follow him, Christ bids that man come and die, right? You know that Bonhoeffer said that. We can quote those quotes to each other. And that's fine and they're true. But never forget the end. We will be like Jesus. 1 John 3. Dear friends, we are children of God. What exactly we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. We will be like Jesus. Romans 8, 28. Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son Jesus in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The Holy Spirit is making you to be like Jesus. Are we like him now? No. We have so far to go. But isn't it what you want for your life? Isn't that what you want to be? Don't you want the life and love and joy and passion of Jesus to fill you from top to bottom? Isn't that what you want for your life more than anything? So yes, you could be like the crowd and keep Jesus at that comfortable arm's length, calling him when you need him. Would have been a lot easier for the disciples if they'd done that, you know, just Keep doing the fishing thing, pay your bills, a little fun on the weekends. So much simpler, but also so much emptier and small and sad. And so it is with deep love, and because he knows what you can be, because he wants from you so much more than mediocrity, that Jesus comes to you again this morning down to your seashore And he looks you in the eye and he says, as he always does, follow me. Amen. Lord, as this year begins, we stand before you not as customers, but as disciples, as servants, 
as men and women who so want to be filled from head to toe with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we know we have miles to go before that happens for us. But we are ready to walk those miles. We're ready to open ourselves up to your love and your life, and we are ready to be changed together. In Christ's name, amen.